Within a few hours, some staff members from the Grassroots Law Project and many families who've been impacted by police violence and racial injustice are traveling together to Washington, D.C., where the legal director of the Grassroots Law Project, Lee Merritt, is going to be testifying before the Senate tomorrow and is going to be appearing at the White House for the signing of an executive order. I want to unpack it. I want to talk about it. I want to think out loud on how we have to find ways to work with people that we don't necessarily even like to get things done. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. When you are fighting for justice, be it for a family impacted by police violence or somebody who is incarcerated or on death row, I have learned, I think more than any point in my life, I have learned over this past year that if you are not willing to work with people outside of your political party, it's going to cost lives. And that's a very difficult thing for people to understand because we have very strong emotions about the governor of Georgia, about the governor of Texas, about Donald Trump. Yet, here's what I understand. We can't be on a four-year election cycle while we put justice reform and individual families who desperately need justice We can't put those things on hold until a Democrat gets in office because what we have also found is that in cities and counties and states and in the White House, there have been times where we had Democrats in office and still could not find justice, still could not really get a seat at the table, still could not get access to the type of systems of of justice that families deserved. And so this idea that we can't work with Republicans because they also may have done legitimately horrible things against our community or against our friends or against other communities that we are allies with, it's, it's, a, it's a fool's bargain. Because here's what I know, and I need to unpack it, as our team prepares today to travel to Washington, D.C. with so many families who've been horribly impacted by racial violence, police brutality, and mass incarceration as we travel there on behalf of the Grassroots Law Project to speak at the Senate and to appear at the White House as an executive order is signed around the issue of police violence. I want to take a moment to unpack and explain some things some hard, hard lessons that we've learned and are still having to stare down right now in cities and states all over the country. This past year, you may recall that we were brought on board by the Innocence Project to help stop the execution of a man named Rodney Reed. And at the time when the team at the Innocence Project and Rodney's family uh, and his brother Roderick is on our advisory board at the Grassroots Law Project, At the time when they reached out to us, their 
there were only about 20 days left before Rodney was scheduled to be executed. 20 days. I mean, it's nothing. And as we began to scramble to figure out what could we do, what story could we tell, how do we stop this execution? One thing that we soon realized is that every person we needed to negotiate with was a deeply conservative Republican. The district attorney, the board of pardons and paroles, the attorney general, the governor, both of the senators, the United States senators, including Ted Cruz, everybody that we needed to negotiate with, uh, the president of the United States, even the Supreme Court to a degree, the Texas Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, everybody who had the power to actually stop the execution of Rodney Reed was a Republican. Now imagine if we looked at that and said, oh, we're done, you know, we don't, we don't negotiate with Republicans. Imagine if we looked at that situation and said, listen, uh, I have real beef with the governor of Texas or the attorney general of Texas. I have real beef with Ted Cruz. Uh, I have real beef with the local district attorney. And all of that could be true. But imagine if we looked at that and told Rodney Reed's family, listen, I'm sorry, we don't really work with these people. I mean, their, their son, we came to know Rodney's mother. We came to know Rodney's brother and family. Like their son and brother was about to be executed for a crime he didn't commit. Our answer could not be, well, we don't work with these people. And let me tell you, we had to humble ourselves in a way that I have never done before because what we realized is that if all of those Republicans who had the power to stop that execution, if like th they weren't going to respond to insults and they also weren't going to respond if they thought it was uh, a Democratic Party campaign, like they needed to be appealed to on the merits of the case. And we consulted with Republicans who are either against the death penalty or who had reviewed the case and felt strongly that Rodney was innocent. And we had Republicans coach us and advise us on what it was going to take to get their Republican friends to stop that execution. And let me tell you, the Republican-dominated Board of Pardons and Paroles, the, the district court and others all stopped it. They intervened and stopped the execution. Rodney Reed is alive today because Republicans stopped that execution. In so many ways, the story is very similar in Georgia. Um, in March, when the family of Ahmaud Aubrey reached out to me and Lee Merritt asking if we could help, when Lee and I began to really break down the case, what we came to understand immediately was that the local police chief, all of the local district attorneys in the original county and in the surrounding counties, all Republicans, the attorney general was, was a Republican. The head of the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, who was appointed by the governor, who was a Republican, is also a Republican. What we understood right away was a lesson that we learned with Rodney Reed, is that as angry and frustrated as we already were with Brian Kemp for so many other decisions that he made, what we came to understand was that we were not only going to have to work with him or potentially work with um, 
the White House or or their designees or any federal investigators. What we understood in Ahmad's case was that everybody who had the power in Georgia to do something about that case, who had the power to arrest the three men who hunted Ahmad down, everybody who had the power to do that, they weren't Democrats. In fact, not a single person in Georgia, from the United States senators to the governor to the Georgia attorney general to anybody else that I've named, including the black woman who was the district attorney in Cobb County, who eventually got the case. She is also a Republican. And so we understood that to get justice, any semblance of justice for Ahmaud Arbery, of course, arrests are not convictions, but you don't have a conviction without an arrest. And so to get those men arrested required us to work actively with about a dozen different Republicans. Now, let me take you to Kentucky. And this is a very complicated challenge in Kentucky where we are actively fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor. It seemed on the front end like we were going to be working with people who we were in relationship with. Because after all, the governor of Kentucky is a Democrat. I'm from Kentucky. My mother voted for Governor Bashir, my, my mother voted for his father when he was governor. The local district attorney is a Democrat. The mayor of Louisville, where Breonna Taylor was killed, is a Democrat. And we have continued to appeal to them over and over and over again. And guess what? They haven't even been fired. Not only have those men not been arrested, but they haven't even been terminated yet. It was those same men that actually the local district attorney, who was a Democrat, who had Brianna's boyfriend, Kenny, arrested and charged with attempted murder. It was the local Democratic district attorney who said he was going to pull himself off of the Brianna Taylor case so he could focus on prosecuting Kenny, the Democrat. And, And when he recused himself, he then gave the case over, listen, to the attorney general, of Kentucky, a Republican, a black man. So here we are again in a position where Democrats in power could have fired the officers who killed Breonna Taylor, could have charged them and arrested them. They did not. We pressed them. We talked to them. We we arranged for the family and attorneys to meet and negotiate with them. And instead, they kicked the case over to a Republican attorney general. And what are we to do now? You may have seen yesterday that Beyonce wrote an open letter to Kentucky's attorney general saying, listen, this case is on your desk. Please do something about it. And and yet here we are having again, having negotiated with Democrats and gotten nothing in Louisville. We are in the Breonna Taylor case. Thankfully, the Louisville City Council, yes, just passed Breonna's law completely banning no-knock warrants, and it shows what happens when we can organize around local change. But we're having to negotiate again with the Republican in Kentucky, the attorney general, to try to get some change because the Democrats in power weren't doing it. Listen, I've been a Democrat my entire life. I literally campaigned for every president, every Democratic nominee since 
1996 and have gone to rallies and events. And so I don't say this as somebody I've never voted for a Republican a day in my life. But to get change, sometimes we have to work with them. And when you think about cities and counties and states where some of the single worst incidents of police violence and police brutality and police corruption have happened, they've been in cities and counties and states often governed by Democrats from top to bottom where we couldn't get any semblance of justice. So we have to be willing to negotiate with whoever is in power. And so today, our team from the Grassroots Law Project and nearly a dozen different family members impacted by police violence and prosecutor misconduct and so much more are traveling to speak tomorrow at the United States Senate and to appear at the signing of an executive order around the crisis of police brutality. And here's what I need you to understand. We have to be willing to engage anybody in power that is able and willing to move the needle on this issue. Now, if you've listened to this podcast or you've followed me in any way, I, I fully wholeheartedly believe that this system is not broken. It was poorly and horribly and brutally designed from the very beginning. It's not a broken system. It's functioning exactly the way it was designed and built to function. So, yes, I believe that we should tear down the system. Yes, I believe that we should defund the system. But I also believe it's going to happen bit by bit, piece by piece, policy by policy, city by city, fight for change, county by county, fight for change. And that's why my primary battle will always be locally, where we helped to elect, including many of you who donated and campaigned and volunteered for Chesa Boudin to become the new district attorney of San Francisco, where in six months, he did what I thought would take him nearly eight years to do. He has reduced San Francisco's jail population by 50% in six months. That's what can happen when you fight for change on the local level. So I normally operate from the position that Congress is where good ideas go to die. And for most of my lifetime, that has been the case. I am hopeful that we are in a moment that's bigger and, and more momentous and that Congress is able to get something done in this moment. They're not known for getting stuff done. Obviously, Democrats control the House. Republicans control the Senate. Donald Trump controls the pen. And here's the thing. Are we going to work with Republicans who control the Senate to get something done here? Yeah, we can, I'm aiming to flip the Senate. I literally run an organization calling for us to flip the Senate. But we have to work with whoever's in power. What if the Senate's not flipped? Are we going to wait another two years or four years or six years or, or 10 years until it is? I don't, I don't believe that Trump will win, will win re-election, but what if he does? Do we, not, do we not get him to sign anything on the federal level for four more years? I, that's the position we're in. And so we have to be willing, as we did in Texas and Georgia, 
successfully to engage Republicans on the issues that matter. We have to do it in Kentucky with the Attorney General, who is now taking over the case after Democrats failed their duty to to honor the family of Breonna Taylor. It is now in the hands of a Republican who has an opportunity to do right by this family, just as we saw in Georgia with Republicans aiming to do right, yes, under pressure, aiming to do right by the family of Ahmaud Aubrey. And so here we are. And um, I know, as Lee Merritt, who will be with the families, understands that our primary responsibility is to them, is to those families to fight for change, to fight for systemic, measurable, tangible change. And that's what we're going to do. And we'll work with whoever is willing to push that, fight for it, and to make change. Take care, everybody. Break it down.